What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Origin Story, a spinoff of the podcast For the Love of Cinema. I am one of your hosts, Grayson Maxwell. And I'm your other host, Brandon Boring. Brandon, how are you, my friend? How are you in this December? How did your show go? Uh, the show went very well. We had great audiences. Uh, we ran two weekends. Uh, great audiences for all the shows. Very responsive. A lot of great feedback. Uh, you know, all the audiences seemed to love it. We got good word of mouth. Our second weekend, you know, the the closing night uh, it was our biggest night. We kept getting more and more people every show. So that's what you want to see. Uh, we're very happy with where the, the material is, so we're going to enjoy the victory, take sort of the rest of the month and the holiday off, and then me and the direct, or me and the uh, writer of the show are going to sort of meet in the new year and, and look at what our next steps might be with the, the product. So very was excited a, about that. Was it a financial success? I, I don't really know how you measure that on the I mean, it is level. community theater. I, I, we haven't got the final numbers in yet because they're still getting like some final budgets from like our costume. You know, we're getting final invoices in and things like that from from different things. Uh, based on the ticket sales, I think we should it should uh, turn a profit on that. But it is a nonprofit organization. You know that we did it through. It is a community theater organization. So uh, there are also you know there are grants and things involved. So that is not the primary goal of this one. This was just the the, the production premiere. Uh, we anticipate a professional premiere for the material. At least I do. I think it's a strong enough show that it will it will go on and, and go to bigger places. Uh, including its professional premiere down the road, which would, would be with you know a, a union equity house uh, that is strictly for profit producing. Um, but this one, yeah, we you know we certainly didn't lose money. That's 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 the thing with uh, most community theater. You you're really looking to not lose money on these productions. There's kind of self sustaining where you make enough money from one to do in the next show, and then that makes enough money so you can do the next show. And uh, it, in terms of that, it was it was a successful show for the company. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that it was a success. Um, I've been shows. I only know this because um, I just listened to uh, our episode. It's going to post this Friday about Star Wars, which and and in that episode, we we tell everyone to look out for your play in early December. But that's obviously unless you have a time machine, it's impossible now. Yeah, but I was just listening to it. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we talked about set design and you had some cool things going on. And I just I'm very happy it was a success for you. I know that's, you know, since since I've known you, I know you've talked about doing this, you know, being involved in the in the community theater um, and in the theater community. And uh, I'm just I'm very glad that you've done this. Super oh, yeah, it was it was a great step for me. You know, it's not often uh, someone who's who's working at my sort of current level in the in the industry gets to do original work like this. So it, it was a, a big gift for me, uh, you know, Thankfully, knowing the author uh, was sort of a, a leg in. That's how I got involved with the project. But eternally grateful. Um, and yeah, so uh, hopefully on to bigger and better things. Hopefully it won't be the last I'll get to talk about it as we you know go forward with these uh, origin stories episodes. Maybe you'll be hearing more about it down the road. Yeah, when um, that'd be really cool if a production company picks it up and then they make a film adaption of it. <laughs> and we'll talk about that on here. Oh boy, I I, I think the, uh, the the Hollywood might be a little gun shy on comedy uh, Sherlock Holmes stories right now, uh, based on the last last go around. <laughs> oh sure, sure. What what do you mean last go around? Was it Holmes and Watson? Yeah, the Holmes and Watson was the last one I could think of, and boy howdy, I watched that one, and it was it was quite an interesting viewing experience to say the least. Infamously on our on the For the Love of Cinema main show, Roger gave that's one of two movies now that Roger has given he has awarded zero points to <laughs> zero on on a scale of 10 he, he awarded that movie zero points i would give it at least one because i feel like there are like three jokes through the entire runtime that work work for me and work pretty well but other than that yes pure trash 
I also I gave it a one. I did not give it a zero. I, I don't think I can ever give anything a zero because man, that's I don't know. I don't know if you I don't know if you've been keeping tabs with the recent um you know celebrity outburst scandals. First Ridley Scott called millennials idiots and for not watching The Last Duel, and then Seth Rogen um said that Santa Inc. That show, which has no rating on Rotten Tomato, Tomato Meter, and a four percent audience score, he mm-hmm. said it's bombed because of white supremacists. He said these Interesting. things. Interesting. They said these things on social media, like where they're forever time stamped, and you can never get rid of it. Oh so, boy, no, I did not see that. If uh, you, I'll tell you what though, if you have a few minutes, you could kill going to bed one night. Read about the Ridley Scott thing. He really put his foot in his mouth, and wow. That's that's, a, that's wild because I just want to tell Ridley I just I've been doing a show, man. I'm planning on seeing the last duel. I was just running a show the past two weekends. I've been busy. Well, that came out in October. Well, I mean, you were you were still October. In, yeah, you were still I in. Thought heavy it was just that. November. No, oh, no, no, no that, was, that was October. All right, that's um, on me. I'm sorry, Ridley. That's on me. <laughs> you hear this, Ridley? Brandon would like to. I know he's apologize. a listener. I feel bad. <laughs> Ridley, if you want to come on the show and talk about it, you're always you always have an invitation, of course. All right. Definitely make sure I watch the movie then if you're going to come on. All right, Brandon. You are here with me, and I think I said episode three in the beginning. This is episode four of Origin Story, where today we are going to talk about the the movie Dragonheart from 1996. As you all remember, the purpose of Origin Story is to talk about not not movies that are in the theater right now, uh, as, as is the shtick of For the Love of Cinema, the main show of the podcast. This is talking about movies that had an influence us had an influence on us on a young age this is uh, myself and Brandon and uh last week we talked about the the last three Star Wars movies which which served a dual purpose of doing a part 2 of 2 which we have we did part 1 2 years ago Star Wars and of course Star Wars was a very heavy influence on both of us at, in in our younger years and as we as we grew up and worked in the theater, when a few of them, when the, the the prequels were out, you know, we we had many great conversations, me and Brandon, about Star Wars and what directions we we hoped it would take. And episode seven, eight, nine, I don't think fulfilled any of those hopes, but <laughs> uh, we we just had a very spirited talk about it. It is going to post Friday the seventh, December seventeenth. It's two and a half hours long, so I I hope by the time this posts, you have listened to it and enjoyed it. All right, Brandon, what say you we jump into the main focus of this episode, Dragonheart? Sounds great. Love it. Not to, not to be confused with the best picture winner, also with a heart in the name one year earlier, Braveheart, but Dragonheart. Yeah, no no, no similarities whatsoever between these two. Except uh, hearts. They both have heart in the name. Yeah. Which is fine. All right. This, this is a weird one, Dragonheart. I want to be right up front in saying this because this... I was, I think, peak audience for this. 1996, mm-hmm. I was 11 years old. It just kind of, it took me by storm. Now, a, a little, little bit of background on this movie before we get into the particulars. Rob Cohen is the director. I, of course, didn't know Rob Cohen until years later. Uh, he, of course, he did the first Fast and the Furious. He has, under his belt, he had, and then, of course, led to Triple X. It led to Stealth. Rob Cohen's got a history of um, doing these things, these you know fast act, fast octane action things, <clears throat> and uh, that's just kind of his thing. But before, before he did Dragonheart, he did things like let me make sure I have the right. Okay, so he did very similar things. 
Um, he did daylight. If you remember the Sylvester Stallone, they're stuck in the tunnel and it's, they're looking for daylight before everyone dies. Um, before that he did dragon, the Bruce Lee story. He, and then he did a lot of TV, but I think you know him now for fast and the furious triple X stealth. Um, he's done a lot in that. Uh, like on all those movies, of course, have very common threads in them, very fast paced machines, you know, cars, um, planes, you know, that do damage and, you know, the storyline that kind of envelops the, the cars and the planes almost as much as the people involved in them. And so that's just kind of what I always kind of like see him for. Brandon, what do you, what do you associate Rob Cohen with when you think Rob uh, Cohen, what comes to your mind? That's what he is now. I mean, if you asked me Rob Cohen, I would have said fast and the furious and stealth and triple X. That's, that's what first is my brain. And I saw the name when I was watching the film for this, uh, but I I <laughs> I didn't connect it at the time. I just saw the name. And I was like, okay. And then at the end, when I was looking through the the end credits, I was like, wait a minute. Oh oh wait no. I if you show those movies, I would not have guessed in a million years that the director of Dragonheart went on to do Fast and Furious and Triple X and Stealth. Well, I mean, uh, Dragonheart, of course, is the one that's out of sync there. But yeah, it make but it makes sense though. I mean. Those three it makes sense, but Dragonheart's the one that's kind of weird. But I could still I could still see where there's lines to be drawn in in what he did. So I mean that's I mean that's kind of why I always appreciate. And even at a young age, I was able. To, no, not 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 young. Um, Fast Fast and Furious came out. I was just just starting high school. Um, I, I and then of course Triple X. What a year and a half, two years later, maybe. But like those two are very easy to connect. It's the Dragonheart one that's hard, but sorry, Brandon, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, you're fine. Uh, yeah, and that's that's a fair point. I'm not. I, it, it's I guess it's surprising that if I had seen Dragonheart, I would not have anticipated the the career path that it's gone from there. Uh, yeah, because there's also like the skulls in the middle of that before Fast and Furious. Yeah, it just I think I think the Dragonheart just feels a little bit like an outlier. Uh, it also really just a time capsule. It was wild. I was telling you before the record that after watching this, I, I had known of the film. I knew, okay, Sean Connery does the voice of the dragon. They had like a whole CG dragon in the 90s. It was a big deal. That's about what I knew of it. But after watching it, I realized I had never seen this film before in my life. And it's it's wild to me seeing what fantasy was as a genre before Lord of the Rings. Well, I mean, see, that's a whole different conversation in itself. Because, of course, you know, the 80s had all the... I mean, we had, we had Willow and had all those movies that really tried to be these, these massive... Uh, fantasy, medieval fantasy genre, or medieval fantasy hits that I don't mm. think any of them really ever landed. I think they all tried. Some of those are, I mean, even like, what's that, Dolph Lundgren, He-Man, or isn't that that yeah, weird? Yeah, the universe. Yeah, yeah. That even that one is like that's kind of boy. That's a that's a you want to talk about a time capsule movie? There you go. There's one of them. My friends for sure. But Dragonheart has always been <clears throat> one of my go tos, and I have several reasons for that. What Dragon so Dragonheart is. It's a, it's at the at, at the core of it. It's about a disillusioned knight who is hunting down all the dragons because he thinks all the dragons. One of the dragons' heart corrupted a kid he was mentoring and teaching to the old ways. And when he meets this dragon through through very cinematic ways, through a very cinematic weird way, they end up teaming up together and scheming on villages and towns and sc- scamming money. Which then, of course, leads leads into the discussion of where's your morality. They then friend a priest, and then they and then they get tied up in taking um, helping the rebellion against the evil king, who is a recipient of half the dragon's heart. 
So it's really kind of a, a whirlwind of a ride. But I mean, this this movie made today looks nothing like <laughs> what we got in '96. I promise you that. It's just the time was right. the The '90s, the decade, or the the '90s, Rob Cohen, uh, Sean Connery. It's just everything kind of like in motion in that decade led to this movie being what it was. Does, does that make sense, Brandon? Yeah, and it's when I watch this movie, I th- it's I mean, I always immediately want to script after every movie I see because uh, my brain is broken. But this one, it, it what throws me off is there's good ideas, and I feel like it's it's two films that are fighting with each other, and I kind of like both halves of the film, but I th- I think the end product gets me a little thrown off. Yeah, and you do need to adjust your brain for it being the '90s, and that it's a culmination of sort of what what the genre was at the time and what the filmmaking was at the time. So it is, you know, it is unfair to come from a 2021 point of view uh, and look back and go, okay, well now, you know, I've seen, you know, Smaug on film. This is, this is the dragon you have. Okay. We've seen, we're post game of Thrones here and this is the, the dragon action. It's well, not it's, fair to view it's it. Pretty impress- it's pretty impressive for 96. However, I don't think it looks as good as any of the Jurassic Park 93 dinosaurs do uh well i don't the, think it looks even nearly as good as they did uh no when the secret i think the off-discussed secret of jurassic park is they knew how little to use it like if you run up the total time of cg uh, dinosaurs it is like shockingly little for that length of that film uh, well so this, i think it's only 13 you only see the he only has 13 minutes of screen time which i mean it's kind of a lot when you break down well five seconds here 20 seconds there. like it's it's kind of a lot and I, it's and also I the lighting that. conditions and how they use him because they have him lit in, in like in a lot of daylight scenes and also have him interacting with people around him, which is challenging to do even today. So I, I think I think they just wrote themselves some big checks, whereas Spielberg, when doing Jurassic Park, knew like, OK, this is how we'll see it. Wide shots or a dark shot, you know, ways to use use the film to his advantage, all the environment to his advantage to know when they could make the CG happen uh, as well as they could. But this is a big movie. This was an enormous movie. And I know it was done, I think it was filmed in 94, and then it went away for 18 months for editing and post. And Oof. it was, I, yeah, that was back when movies could, could, could do that, of course. But mm-hmm. it, it was just one of those, it, it was a big movie for the time. And I remember the advertising, you know, like, believe, you will believe. It's it just, it, I mean, if, if you ask me, it's, it's leaps and bounds uh, ahead of its 80s counterparts. Or even early '90s. I don't. When was Willow? That was '80s. Yeah, I believe it was '80s. Yeah, yeah it, it leaps and bounds ahead of Willow. I mean, I mean, your Val Kilmer and and Willow. I don't think does nearly as good a job as Dennis Quaid in this movie. But Val Kilmer was the bigger star, I think, at the time. If you if you want to like line up the decades, but mm-hmm. let's just jump into it because I I, I have a lot to talk about with, with Dennis <laughs> with Dennis Quaid and and I have a I have one of the factoids that, that's going to blow your mind. Um, Brandon, it is going to blow your mind. All right. So, all right. All right. 1996's Bad Boy came out, directed by Rob Cohen. Of course, the cast, if you've seen the movie, is 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 a much bigger cast than you probably remember. Dennis Quaid as Bowen, Sean Connery as the dragon Draco, Dina Meyer as Kara. And in, in the mid to late, in the early to late 90s, Dina Meyer was everywhere. I mean, you, you may have heard of a little movie, Starship Troopers, which was a massive deal. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, she's in that. She's topless. She's, I mean, she, Dina Meyer was the go-to girl, and one of the go-to girls in the 90s, and she was enormous. Uh, Pete Postlewaite, which at this time, boy, he was, he was, I'll bet you Pete Postlewaite was one of the cheapest people in this movie. And 
and you know, early to mid two thousands to late two thousands, he was a very expensive guy. So not even ten years later, he was he had already like up the ladder very quickly. Um, David Thelwis uh, as 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 Evil King Einan, Jason Isaacs as Felton, uh, Brian Thompson as Brock. You might not know Brian Thompson by name, but he was Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat <laughs> Annihilation, and he he was in just a dozen other things. I, I mean, literally, that guy has a major filmography, and it's quite impressive. And I went back and looked 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 at it. Yeah. Now, here's one of the and. Julie Christie, of course, as Aislinn, which for this movie is a huge get. It it certainly adds the gravitas that was needed. Um, that was, you know, we we did, I, I just having listened to the Star Wars episode we recorded weeks ago. Now I'm thinking about it, maybe a month, a month and a week ago. Um, the same that Max Van Sydow brought to Episode Seven. Like he yeah. would, there he was hired for a specific purpose on Seven. The same reason I think Julie Christie was hired for a specific purpose is to give this movie even though it has silly fantasy elements, but try to ground it a little bit and give, and give adults like enough of a chance to enough of a reason to give it a chance to maybe get into it. So all those things, that's a huge, that's a huge cast for the nineties. It might not be today, but man, the nineties, that was a very expensive cast. That's for sure. And one of the little factoids I, I grabbed right off of IMDb was <laughs> get this. Okay. Listen to this brand. You're just going to blow your all mind. Right. Okay. According to an interview on IGN, the producers originally cast Liam Neeson for the role of Bowen, but the studio didn't think audiences would buy him as an action hero. <laughs> of course, he is one of the biggest action heroes right now. I mean, he wow. does a movie every single year. I mean, uh, I, tell you, I tell you what, I certainly would have bought his accent a lot more. I don't understand. Because at the time, he had done Rob Roy, which wasn't a small movie. That was a pretty yeah. big movie. That you know, that the, the mid-90s, you know, you had Rob Roy... Legend of the Fall, First Night, you have Dragonheart, Braveheart. I mean, there's, you know, half a dozen to a dozen movies that would qualify for big uh I mean, the nineties to me was the last decade for actual epics. You know, real honest to God epics. Uh again, first maybe not first night, although you could argue Legends of the Fall, I would say it was one of the last ones. Braveheart certainly was one of the last ones. After the '90s, though, you know the, the the term gets used a lot more, but but seldom is it used correctly as to what an epic is. It, you know, kids use it interchangeably with uh, tons of other descriptor words, which kind of mm-hmm. dumps down the meaning. But the '90s was, to me, was the last decade we had any real epics. What say you to that, Brandon? Uh, I'm trying to think what year was Gladiator. That was two two thousand. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that was, that was two thousand. So that would have been made in the nineties, though. I say, yeah, that was that was the first one that jumped to my head of like a later day film that I just sort of think of as an epic without without too much uh, uh, issues there. Well, no, of course, but that would have been made not only in the nineties. No, but you're also... right. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I was I was saying that's a good. Yeah, because I said that's that's the most recent one I think of, or like or other things that are around that time, like Kingdom of Heaven, which I think was like oh three or oh four. No, or that was oh five. Oh five. Okay. Yeah, but the whole um, thing is like when movies in 2000, 2001, they're still made with 90s mentality, 90s way of thinking. You yeah. Know, they're, I mean, they're still that, that young in the decade, of course, and especially in movies that take, you know, 20 months to do in post like Dragonheart did. I mean, it's, you know. That, well, it's also, it's also you know, yeah, it's, I think the age of uh, CG has sort of changed a lot of that. You know, once once Lord of the Rings showed the crowds you could do with Weta's technology and it just sort of changed the things that filmmakers were looking to do that the idea of doing sort of the, the epics in the, in the way of the nineties, like I say, yeah, you have some of those artifacts into the two thousands, but, but now it's just, you know, it, the sensibility shifted, which I, th- I feel like you'll see sensibility shift uh, regularly throughout, throughout film history. So um, 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's a pretty fair assessment, though, in terms of your classical epics uh, in, in film. But I mean, see, I'm going to argue that this movie is no different. It's just for a different audience. It's just aimed at a much younger audience. Because, uh, like, you, like I, th- I think you hit the nail on, on, on the head. I don't know if you said it before we started shooting or, or recording or after, but this movie has a lot of great ideas. It just doesn't use any of them to great effect. Yeah, it, it is two films fighting each other. I was, I just read briefly a, a little snippet that was talking about the creation of the film and that the seed of the idea at first was the idea of this knight and a dragon teaming up to con villages. And I'm like, that's a really rich idea. Like, just that in and of itself, that plot point. Um, But then they took that idea and just sort of slapped it and attached it into the middle of this sort of more classical archetype, big thoughts, you know, the knights of old, and we've fallen on hard times, an evil despot, and we need to rise up and inspire the people to, to take back their way, you know, and sort of a much more sort of straightforward classical fantasy story, uh, which they do well, but just they have this extra piece jammed in the middle and they don't really they don't successfully always balance those two ideas against each other well no they they it's not that they don't always they rarely i don't even think it happens once in this movie it's just they're cool ideas for example i mean we're i just want to just pick one out the the duel between bowen and and king Ainan is a really great idea what's going on with you know well before we get there you know who's there what's happened transpired between the characters, what colors the characters are wearing. It's all very, that's one of the more interesting things in the movie is as that, that I think that's one of the, one of the better scenes of the movie. But again, it's, it almost gets there. And then just it, it, it ends before it has a chance to really do what the scene was trying to do. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like they, they sort of pay lip service to the idea. They have moments where I'm like, it's, uh, it's clearly supposed to be very epic in this setting, in this world. Like, the oaths and sort of rediscovering who he is but because the film doesn't give the real estate it needs to to these things a lot of it doesn't feel earned and so i don't want to say that what they're going for is a problem i i just think they they hit these things and it comes across as melodramatic as opposed to satisfying because it doesn't have the time to to live where it needs to for me to feel like oh yeah dennis quay got his groove back or you know, the the relationship growing between him and the dragon is so quick just in terms of runtime of the film. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Um, which I'm a little ahead. I just want to give one example. But um, again, we're going to start. Let's start with Bowen, who Dennis Quaid. You'd never think of to today. You would never think to cast him or that he was ever cast in a role like this. You would never uh. think that. Uh, no, and also I love I love the guy. I think he's a good actor, but boy, that accent. It was it, I had a hard time. <laughs> I had a hard time uh, dealing with the. I had to sort of just like shut my brain off and get it to stop stop focusing in on his accent because it is all over the place, inconsistent, uh, and and a well, little. It was wild. A, it was a very American accent. <laughs> yeah, it's very American, kind of gruff with with a couple vowels that got changed, yeah, but no, got yeah, changed of, inconsistently. Of course, uh, yeah, it's just but, one of those, yeah. But yeah, every, but your yeah. point, yeah, Dennis Quaid. This is not sort of where his career went. You don't think of him as the the lead in an action fantasy epic. That is not what I would I would well, say any of those words for Dennis Quaid. Well, one one of the second pieces of of little factoids behind this one is, so this again, these are plucked straight from IMDb. I, I just pulled some ones that are that were going to relate. I knew they were going to relate directly to the conversation. But after Liam Neeson was rejected for the role of Bowen, numerous other actors were considered for the part, including Gabriel Byrne, which at the at, at the time. I could have seen it. Not now, but Pierce Brosnan, 
Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson. At the time, you got to mm-hmm. remember, Mel, Mel, Mel Gibson just did Braveheart. But yeah. I mean, but the, I don't, from the time when this was shot to the movie coming out, I don't, Mel was busy with Braveheart at the time. He was shooting it in post. But I mean, th- if you want, I mean, Mel was probably the better choice of all of those people. Yeah, but also sometimes these lists of who they got considered, like, oh, right. yeah, I consider giving Steven Spielberg to direct my movie, but it didn't work. <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, you could say you considered letting Spielberg direct your play, but it didn't, it didn't, yeah. timing, didn't timing didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, it just it didn't happen, but we considered it, so that's the important thing. Um, also considered Arnold Schwarzenegger, Patrick Swayze, but uh, Cohen's first choice to play Bowen before Dennis Quaid, oh, it was, oh, those were all first choice to play no i'm sorry i, I read it wrong patrick swayze was cohen's first choice patrick Ooh. swayze i like swayze yeah, I, I really like have, swayze could he have done this i think swayze has more range than people give him credit for well okay um, swayze could i mean swayze would have been no different no worse than val kilmer in in willow i i'm just thinking you know I, you know swayze had the you know the cool guy persona but you know he did two wong fu around this time uh you know, Swayze, Swayze had some range on him, and I think I think he would have been really interesting to see in this. Well, it's something that I don't think does he have a role that's even remotely close to this. Um, I don't think. I'm I, think, to think I mean, maybe maybe, maybe like Red Dawn, you can you can consider. I guess um, as, as yeah, like a tribe, as like a, as like a rebellious leader, but that's about it, right? Yeah, he's more of like a, a dangerous loner in like Roadhouse and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not um, really. I'm not really into the. I'm not really up to par on the Swayze, but that's that's a whole different thing. What we got, excuse me, we got Dennis. Dennis Quaid was of course the one that cast, mm-hmm. and so let's let's jump into the story a little little bit before we get into the other. You know, before we start talking about the other assets in place, so let's talk about the story, which is okay. Also, it's important to note that the the movie I think has pretty much been forgotten by most audiences outside of people like me and really hardcore people that remember this, but the score by Randy Edelman, this score is consistently like in the top 10 or 15 of AFI's best film scores. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a good score. It is. Like I said, I feel like the film doesn't always earn the earn the quality of the score, but uh, yeah, the score is very good because I did a little research. I didn't remember this. Of course I, I would have been too young, but that year they 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 played the score several times for the Academy Awards, like several times. You know how powerful your mo- you know how good your score has to be for the play it several times the Academy Award. Like, yeah, I mean, come fair. on, man. That's but I mean that's the whole thing is the most powerful thing about this movie is the score, hands down. It, it's 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 almost too it's almost too pretty for the movie. Mm-hmm. You know you know it's just it's a it's a damn good score for not a damn for like a mediocre movie, and it does up I think the value and quality of the movie a little bit. But also in, in, in times, like like you just said, the movie doesn't earn it. And I think sometimes you can tell that the score is just far and away the best thing in, that's happening in the moment. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, it's really the same sort of thing. Like, I, it, you know, it is it is hitting these sweeping heroic beats, much like some of the dialogue and some of the plot is. But uh, when you don't have all the groundwork there, it just comes across as a little trite at times it's like okay yeah you're i get the score is telling me this is the the biggest most heroic thing to ever happen but you haven't really gotten me there as a film no you're that's see that's 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 it right right on the nose is right there so we open with bowen training young prince Einan how to fight not only how to fight but why to fight and it's a very upbeat 
it's it, it is it, it has the the the, the title <clears throat> track in the score playing in the beginning it's that very sweeping yeah, it, it's very lovely and, and and he's teaching him again not only how to fight but why to fight and it doesn't look like Anand's taking any of it in he doesn't he very much is not take he's trying too hard and not and not accepting any of the real lessons trying trying to be taught and then of course we have Brock rides up and says, "There's, you know, your 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 father's about to slaughter all these villagers. Let's go watch." And then there you have a very stark divide between Bowen Bowen's ideas of what Einan should see and Brock's and his father's ideas of what Einan should see. And of course, Einan goes the latter, and he he's he's always evil and twisted, and we can see that from the very big, the very get go. Although the weird part is, and this is the question I pose to you, Brandon, is right from the get go. Bowen is dressed in black, all black, and Prince Einan is in all white, all white. Both and their their uniform throughout the entire movie never changes, or the the the, the wardrobe it never changes. So I mean that to me is black and white are very specifically chosen colors. <laughs> you know you don't uh, you don't accident into any of those either one of those colors. But I think what you're what you're not thinking about is that also in universe these characters dress themselves. And one of them feels like he has failed and the world is in ruin and it's his fault. And the other one feels like he is God's gift to the world and everyone should worship him. And so, yeah, he's wearing black. He's the good guy, but he's wearing black because he is he's depressed and feels like he failed. And uh, the evil king is wearing white because he is the savior of mankind. No, I I get that. But nothing changes. You, you think there would be some kind of a, of a hint of a change later. But nothing does change. I mean, that's the whole thing with the the completely dis- disillusioned knight trying to find a world that he once knew, but is he thinks is now gone forever. I mean, in a different story, I could see a world where he like gets his old armor and he puts it on in the first time in years. You know, whatever he you know the cloak he took off when when Einan failed him, uh, and sort of a, a visual cue. Uh, but you know, the CG for a dragon's expensive, and so getting a whole second costume for him. <laughs> Yeah, Sean Connery took the budget down to pretty much. Oh, that's yeah, and Gene Sean Connery in the recording booth for for two hours really really killed the budget. <laughs> Jeez, then he was massive, he was huge, and yeah. the one thing they keep tossing around again, I, th- I think, is kind of the kind of the I think anyone who's tried to write a script or first time writers fall into this trap of 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 using things that sound cool too much. You know, Knight of the Old Code sounds awesome, but man, you overuse it which they do and it kind of loses its it kind of loses its its its, its cool meaning it doesn't lose the meaning but it, it loses the coolness behind it you know knight of the old code which is you know that's phrases used again and again and again and again and again by draco by anyone who knows bowen is is used and it's just you kind of see what i'm saying about that like too yeah, much of a, good, a little- of a good thing is bad yeah, it's a little too generic of a title to say as frequently as they do. Like, if they just mentioned it once that he's a knight of the old code, I would go like, got it, old code, honor, valor, it makes sense to me. But they keep saying it in a way that that is like a famous thing in this world. And like, I can't believe they wouldn't have had better, like, you know, most most knights things. You know, like the Night's Watch in, in Game of Thrones. Like, that's a thing. Like, oh, you're, you're a man of the Night's Watch. That's the name of an organization. That makes sense. But just saying a knight of the old code sounds like a descriptor and not like an actual title. And I think that's what hits my ear wrong about it. Well, it's just they're they're trying too hard. The scriptwriter was trying too hard here to to I think you know be edgy and be like you know there were there were I think they thought this movie was more than it was. 
I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say that now, and I, I still think that to this day. They, they think oh, they had sure. a better I mean, product you, than they did. If you look at the poster, the poster promises the greatest fantasy I've ever seen in my life, and then <laughs> it really the does. movie's fine. Yeah, I mean, so Patrick Reed Johnson, he has a story credit, and Charles Edward Pogue has screen credit. I think Patrick Reed Johnson's the one that adapted it into he, – he adapted it into the novelization as well, which – from what I, I read, I never read the novelization. I was aware of its existence, but it is much, much longer, much darker, much more Game of Thronesy. If you get my drift on that one, um, a lot more death, a lot more destruction, a lot more, a lot less PG rated, a lot more R rated. Um, from what I can tell, I could see that, and honestly, I'd, I think I'd prefer that. And uh, like the story that exists now in the movie feels like it would be better suited to a book because watching the screenplay or watching the film i feel like this opening prologue is is unneeded i feel like seeing the young kid and its father dying and the whole dragon heart thing i think that should have all been off screen i want to open up uh if it was me i would open up on depressed dennis quaid the world has fallen into ruin he's hunting down dragons and then basically we get the story we can even do a flashback later if you want to see it but I think I think you we find out these details as we go presented in this straightforward chronological order. It took away some of the mystery and, and the, the questioning as to like, what could have happened to this night? Uh, and that sort of thing might work in a book where you have more real estate and you go into more and you live longer with the characters. But right now it's 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 almost too short and too long for the prologue. Like it's taking up so much real estate, but not enough time for it to not feel rushed. Like it's like, we need to hit these plot points. Okay. Okay. Uh, he's training him. All right. And then the King dies uh, and then he gets it and then he gets stabbed and then he gets the dragon heart and then bam, 12 years later. Like it's, it's, I don't think, and too well, slow. I don't think I would have done it that way. I think I would have done it as they did it. Just, I would have, I would have been a lot quicker about it, about getting to, I mean, I think, but you got to remember, this is still the, the time of practicality. Like, they're on location in Slovakia shooting this bad boy. I mean, obviously, it's meant to look like, you know, no parts of England, especially with the ruins, which are, I mean, those are, talk about some production, um, what do you call it when you have a production value? Talk about some awesome production value. If, I mean, if you can get the permission, maybe, who knows, maybe it was like you said, but then they got permission to shoot and all these cool, like, ruins of old keeps and castles and one might one might outweigh the other to a producer of having that authentic look versus but I think you, having you can a still have story. all those locations and do cool things with the story. Like I, I don't know. I just think it's more narratively satisfying if the audience meets the fallen knight without knowing absolutely every detail of what happened. Because I spent the the whole half of the movie not to jump too far ahead, but when he's with the dragon what he's been hunting and he doesn't recognize him. And I'm like, well, I know exactly that's the dragon because it's Sean Connery. Well, like, of course, I mean, we know that's the dragon, but I mean, is it a problem that we know and he doesn't? Uh, well, because nothing interesting happened. No, the problem is that nothing interesting happens once he realizes. Or is it like he should recognize the voice like Mary Jane should recognize Peter Parker when they kiss and then she, no one ever knows this Peter, Peter Parker. Um, one of those. Yeah. Or like Superman when he just, he changes his hair and everyone's like, oh my God. And he puts on glasses and, oh, where'd where, where Clark go? Oh, but here's Superman. Mm. Any connection? I don't think so. Mm. So that's just, I mean, but then if you do it your way, you, you also don't, don't get the, 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 the scene in the cave after Ian has been wounded. You know, you you have the point of view of the dragon talking down to Queen Aislinn, who's brought her son to be saved, and she knows the she knows the power of the dragons, the power of the magic of the old ones. She calls them by the she is a, you know a Celtic soul, a Celtic heart. 
she, mm-hmm. she knows about all these, but then you don't have that scene at all. I mean, you can do a flashback, but I don't know how effective a flashback is after you've already established. I mean, do you really have to go back and tell how it show how evil he is, or would you just tell it? Cause then you don't get the, you know, you don't get the iron and dies. And then Bowen tra- takes his sword is going to fight the dragon. And then you have the, the line peace night of the old code and witness the wonders of an ancient glory. And then he puts half of his heart into Einan reviving him, but Einan's already a sick, twisted pup. So nothing can be changed. But I mean, do you get that cool scene? Again, I think that's a pretty cool scene. I mean, it's like my guy brain loves it. Cause it's, it's, it's engineered to love and to love very easily. Um, yeah. I just wish there was things around it supporting it. Cause right now it feels like a cool moment amongst frankly very silly action like the opening fight with the king and the peasants like it 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 might be modern sensibilities but it's just it it seems half-baked and silly this fight that they're having there's there's not a lot of epic scale to it and then the the when Einan just just like basically bumped into a stake randomly in the wall it's not that's what his injury is i was watching the opening i'm like this is all very like haphazard and silly and then we get to that moment where it's yeah it's this big sweeping fantasy melodrama and like that moment is cool but it's not supported by what i saw before it that's actually a fair argument i've seen it so many times i guess i just forgot that argument i just i'm gonna like i said i am an apologist for movies i love and this is one of those movies and that's fair yeah i mean but it does (laughs) what you were saying that i was thinking of course this this movie it tries to be it tries to be epic. It tries to be well. It, it tries to be a very serious, grounded movie about redemption. And then at times you have all this, you know, kind of silly, half-hearted comedy that, like, what movie am I watching? Is this a movie about a knight and a dragon, or is this movie about a knight helping put down or, or helping a rebellion get rid of an evil king? What what Ex- is it? Exactly. They're, those are both interesting movies that I want to watch, but I neither of them are service because the the other one keeps interrupting it. That's actually a very good point. I wonder, I wonder how much give and take there was to the the creative process of how much of both movies do you want before you start axing one and cutting these pages and adding those yeah. pages. You I know, mean, I, I could was, see it because if what I read was true and the original seed of the idea was the sort of dragon and knight scamming villages, which is pretty funny, objectively pretty funny idea. Um, I could see a studio going like, yeah, but we can't. If you're doing a fantasy film, it has to be a fantasy epic. Like that's that's what fantasy films are. You can't do this like goofy buddy con comedy. Like you can have that in there, but it needs to. You know, we need epic stories and an evil doer to overthrow, and there needs to be destiny and prophecy and all this stuff. Like that's just what fantasy is. So I could see studios just demanding the rest of the story be attached to it, and they just like, all right, well, let's figure out a story around this. Then that's actually a very good point. Dang, I never. Especially in the 90s when everything – well, I mean, again, you just Braveheart just won Best Picture mm-hmm. about you know, a big sweeping epic about armies clashing. And, and I, I, I would imagine the, the movies to follow for, for years – I mean, God, Braveheart probably influenced movies for like 10 years after it won about what there is. You know, it's – what I always refer to is what comes after the fight is, you know, Gladiator picked up on it and – just 100% copied it but it's you know Braveheart was 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 about the 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 here and the now and the fight but it's also about the 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 after the fight you know the 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 princess showing up in the crowd in the end and how and easing his 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 passing you know there's a couple different times in that movie where he's 
where where it, it's 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 the stuff away from the fight that matters. There's really there's really kind of awesome conversations. Of course, I don't want to talk about the ending yet, but the ending of this movie is is, is it falls into that category of what comes after the fight. Is mm-hmm. is the the spiritual connection? What did we learn? You know, like I mean, oh yeah, the the final fight in this one, I'll give you that. Like that. I, basically, my brain had adjusted. Like, okay, the stakes maybe weren't properly set up, but like, what is happening in the final fight is is a pretty, pretty great idea. Like, I really, I really enjoy sort of the the climax of the movie. Um, so they, so at that point, I was able to just sort of take that view of like, all right, this film is what it is, but I'm going to enjoy the the component parts and really like the finale. But I mean, is there anything wrong with that? No, it's not. It's just because it was my first time seeing it. I, I didn't know to, you know, as you know, it's a different experience when you watch something for the first time. Uh, so it was my first time I was trying to take the thing in as a whole. And so I had to get past sort of my brain functioning what it is. Uh, I recently just uh, talked about Speed Racer, uh, the Wachowski Speed Racer on another podcast. And that was one that didn't do well at the time. And I think it's just because if your brain's not ready to handle what that film is visually and how tonally, then you just can't process it because you're too busy being shaken up by what's happening. Yeah, uh, I, remember, but, I remember that wasn't that wasn't well received. Yeah, I I legitimately love the movie. It's one of my favorite films, no qualifiers. Um, and so I I always like to spread the good word of it. I'm like, yeah, look, it is it is achingly sincere and family friendly and visually stunning. And you just got to be ready for all those things. And it's just going to keep doing that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's that similar way. Like once I got past, once I understood, like okay, they're kind of clashing tones. The two stories that they're telling are kind of fighting each other. But I could just like watch the parts because like some of the slapstick, funny buddy stuff of the dragon was very fun, and some of the really cool, epic, big sweeping fantasy stuff is really good. And so I just had to enjoy them separately uh, as I watched the movie. Yeah, you're right. They're they're very much are. I mean, it's not that I haven't thought. There very much is two. There are two different movies here. Mm-hmm. And it's the marriage that doesn't work. I'm trying to like have them seamlessly th- run through the other while still being relevant in their own in their own narrative. Sure, I mean that, but that's always a. You know how many movies a year do that? I mean, a, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of movies a year fall guilty to that. And yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's because you have too many cooks in the kitchen. What do they say? Too many cooks in the kitchen spoil the soup, or whatever. Yeah, um, that, it, it's true. It, that, it, <laughs> It's one of the things that haunt me. Just so many Hollywood films. I'm like, you know what? If they brought me in three months before production, just let me read the script. I go like, how about this? And like, I feel like there's so many things that are just easy fixes that I don't know if people just get lost in the weeds when they're making these things. Uh, that just one more set of outside eyes being like, hey, you really overcomplicated this thing. Why, why are you doing that? And then walked away and let them fix their own thing would help. Well, but this is also back in the time. This movie had one major producer. Rafaela de Laurentiis and it's they had a bunch of like associate producers and assistant producers but one major producer movies today have like a dozen producers it's I true mean, and it's I don't think she was I think she from from the little I read I, I don't like reading a whole bunch of this because then I, I like these thoughts to be my own but I would from what little I read I think she just kind of left Rob to his own devices creatively and she mm-hmm. just, you know, as long as the story is there, I, I don't, I'm not going to, that's kind of how her management style, I think, is after reading a little bit about that person. Gotcha. So, um, I mean, that would make sense, though, because she went on, she's worked on all, I think, all the other Dragon Horror movies. And they're, they're all straight to DVD. I mean, 
Dragon, there's there's Dragonheart: A New Beginning, which is Dragonheart Two, Dragonheart Three: The Sorcerer's Curse, Dragonheart: Battle for Hearthfire, and then Dragonheart: Vengeance. Dragonheart: Vengeance just came out in in June, so it, I, I haven't checked them out ever since the second one, A New Beginning. I was so disappointed. I was like, I'm not watching any more of these. These, no, 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 no. But oh, now you kind of. I feel like you have to do a full series retrospective. <laughs> do do I though? Do I? No, well, you're I, not. No. I don't want to ruin even further this movie for myself because I mean I don't. This movie is one of my favorites, but I don't hold it in the, in the highest quality esteem. So I don't want to. I guess I don't want to ruin that. But, I mean, I also know that they're all very silly and very low budget, and you know I, I don't really care for them. So because I know mm-hmm. none of them continue this story, and that's. I mean, why would you care if they didn't care? Like, would you watch them if you know they didn't care? take the story and go on with it uh and i don't they didn't make me care about the world enough like if i really like the world uh i would do that because there are some things because like i mean uh i guess this is technically continuing the story but like i love uh the legend of korra which you know is the the sequel to the avatar the last airbender series even though it's you know 100 years in the future and is a whole new set of characters and stuff uh, like if I like a setting enough, I'll revisit. You know, there are a couple of novel series where I read all the short stories, even when they're unconnected, they're just in the same setting. And this one, though, yeah, unless unless yeah, I, well, certainly me not having any attachment to to the movie, I, I'm not really moved to go watch the other ones, except out of just I feel like a Wikipedia plot summary read is in my future for all the sequels, just to just out of curiosity to see what they do with the material. Uh, and unless one of those, unless one of the plots sounds really interesting, I'm probably not going to be watching them. <laughs> um, they are, they're hard to find though. They don't mass produce them. I think to keep them kind of rare in, in a way, but it, it, iTunes will, will sometime will very seldom do like a, like once a year they'll do like a, you can get every movie for thirty nine ninety nine. You can just buy them by one time purchase. You have all seven. And I mean, I, I think there's, there's another one already in production, so they must keep doing Okay. However, yeah. they get money from these things, they must keep making money. So, I mean, as long as they keep making money, you'd be, I mean, Fast and the Furious. As long as they keep breaking a billion bucks, we're going to keep seeing more Fast and the Furious movies. Tell you it's what, please, please keep giving me Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> After doing the full series watch this year, I need that. Just give me one every year, every other year, whatever, whatever you need. Take well, the time. I, I do plan on having one of the or the first Fast and the Furious movie with the focus on Rob Cohen being one of our maybe in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three being one of the the movies we do cover on origin story for sure i mean it's i think one of the best ones to be honest but okay so after prince Island is saved we, we we jump ahead 12 years and he is he has pretty much become the very thing that bowen was trying to prevent him from coming his father he is a tyrant he doesn't care about human life he doesn't care about anyone but building his keep keeping his power and getting whatever he he, he wants when he wants it he's an evil prick that of course you knew that where that was headed but he has he has half of a heart now of a dragon in him and we don't quite know what that means yet which is pulling punches i think that's some of the more interesting reveals of this movie is what does the dragon heart actually mean is i mean we learn later it brings you know some supposed immortality but it also is a link that you know proves to be quite interesting i think it's one of the more interesting things of the movie yeah, a really interesting idea that, like, in a in a not to be mean, but in a better movie that treated that with as a more like significant point, I would love. I really yeah, like the no, idea I, of this this link to the dragon, and this evil king is now immortal because of this, and then the yeah the knight has to deal with what that means for both the king and the dragon who he's now befriended. Yeah. What's well, I mean, 
there are parts of this movie like the leading up to the end is very powerful, but I mean, it's also those Cohen, at least at this time was a very good moment guy. He knew what moments he he wanted. Just he sometimes struggled with the in-between, which I think is where 99.9% of everyone who wants to be a filmmaker sits. They have these great ideas and these great moments, but they don't know the the 30 pages leading up to what they want. They don't know how to fill in anything, you know? I mean, everyone who wants to write a screenplay knows what they're, climax and act three is but they get lost in act two because they have no goddamn clue how to make it happen and they probably even know act one but act one is so short and act three is so short act two is 90 percent of your movie yeah so, i mean that's yeah. The thing. everyone who wants to tell a story knows how it starts and ends the the middle is where it gets tricky it's where it gets muddled but that's you know the good filmmakers are the ones where the middle never ever droops so exactly. it just just keeps on going we come to <clears throat> bowen finally finds draco Mm-hmm. After he's linked up with Brother Gilbert, played by Pete Postlewaite, who is he is you know he is years and years ahead of, um, he's years and years ahead of religiously. Where I mean he's kind of an anachronism. What he what he's looking for is just just after Arthur the Arthur Arthurian period, and he's way before the mass. Uh, I think the mass of religious period in in Europe, but they find Draco and you know. Through the, I mean, this is one of those moments where I, I wish it wasn't so comical. Of, you know, somehow Bowen he hits him with a, he sticks something in him, but then the he grabs the rope and then the dragon flies and Bowen's hitting trees and you know they're having witty banter back and forth. Like, oh, how did that feel? That couldn't have felt good. Like, come on. But I yeah, mean, it's that's... very slapstick and silly, <laughs> and it's it's a great for the buddy comedy that they jam in the middle of the movie. Yeah, the the buddy part of the comedy is actually all Act Two. You know, it's and it's the act one and act three are the strongest, but it's act two kind of fails because I just don't think they knew where to go with what the two movies they had married together was going to be. But then we finally get to the end of Bowen ends up in Draco's mouth, and they come to a kind of a stalemate. They make a they 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 make a deal. Draco kind of makes uh, Bowen a little a little bit of coin with the next scamming, of course, one of one of the the evil evil lords uh, cronies. And he has a little bit of money. And then, of course, I think a very interesting conversation about morality. Where does morality come in at all? We know that, that scene where they're walking in the hayfield. Mm-hmm. And Bowen, um, Bowen's like, we should have met a long time ago. I'm, you're very profitable. And, you know, Draco's like, well, there's tons of money in the world. But what, what is it? What are you going to use it for? What do what you, you know, does, does money help your, mor- your, morale, your moral compass? And, of course, Bowen fires back. And there's some great lines in this. You know, after learning that that Draco is the last dragon, you know, Bowen says off the cusp because sometimes we say things that are kind of hurtful to people. We don't, I mean, even back then it happened. That's supposed to be funny. But even back then it happened, you know, he said, I would think you'd want to be dead. All your friends are dead. You're the last. And, you know, mm-hmm. Draco fires back with, I do, yes, Knight, I do long for death, but I fear it. And of course, we're, and then Bowen looks at him and and says, aside from your misery, what do you have to lose? And Draco says, my soul. And then the scene ends and they walk, you know, buddy, you know, they walk side by side, like, like kind of like a boy and his dog. But I mean, that's like, uh, well, what does that mean? Your soul? Whoa, 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 whoa. You, come on, script writer. Give us, give us a little more than that. What does that mean? Your soul? How do you, how are you going to lose your soul? If you die, you're just going to die. I mean, that's one of like, they, they dangle it on a string in front of you without, but I mean, I don't know if that's good writing or it's, or it's kind of amateurish. Having to I work think it's, in the moment. I think it's good. It's a little. It's a little like 
melodramatic, but it can work in a high fantasy. Like it's the kind of it's the kind of thing that works in a high fantasy setting. And yeah, so my yeah, when I complain about the writing, it's not like I'm not saying all the individual lines are written poorly because there are quite good moments. It's just yeah, it, it is the overall shape of the the thing that that is the issue. But yeah, that's that I think is just the right amount. Um, and once again, if the the mystery had the right time to unfold, it'd be even better. But yeah, because then later on we get the full speech about dragon souls and what happens when a dragon dies and the and the Draco constellation and all that. Well, we get that. I mean, and then of course it. Linked to that is Brother Gilbert looking for the holy resting place of Arthur Avalon and Avalon. Oh, Avalon! I quest. Oh boy, me. which is uh, talk about fan because it's it's done like in one scene of him doing it, and then unconnected to him doing that later on, Draco just takes them to Avalon, and I'm like, oh boy. Well, this I mean, is, uh... I mean, I would imagine that happened because well, I actually have a story behind that, but I've I think Connery actually had a hand in that because he of course played King Arthur in First Night mm-hmm. two years before that. So, I mean, I think that was maybe a, I mean, look, if you're Sean Connor, if you're a Scotsman, you like being the king of England several times. I mean, it's kind of a big <laughs> F you to England. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course. But, I mean, it's, I would imagine there was a little bit of creativity there, a little bit of actor creativity there that they input. But, I mean, that's a good, but that's after, of course, they get to, I, I, I want to talk about the, the the fight in the waterfall when okay. they try to scam a second town. And they, they, Draco and Einan talk. And then of course the girl gets brought into it and uh, he's a, not a, he's in league with the dragon. And she, he's like, yeah, it's her. It's the wandering idiot. And then they kind of threw anyway. So the Draco flies away, doesn't come back, leaves bone high and dry bone, goes to find them, finds them all buddies. And of course we have, we have three of the four of our, of our troop in one place. We still have to get brother Gilbert, but, and so Einan comes and, See here, okay. I want to kind of get your take. I'm doing a lot of talk. I want to get your take on this scene, Brandon, because this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole, in, in the whole movie, and I think one of the most impactful as well. Um, I'll be on. I uh, first off, I I I was I did not enjoy the fight choreography in this sequence, so that's that's gonna hurt it for me. Um, so before yeah, before I jump into sort of the character and the dialogue and all that, um, uh, because uh, to be fair, in most of the movie, I actually wasn't crazy about the fight choreography. Except for some of the ending fights, some of the climax fight and the final fight in the castle, there's some there's some really cool stuff there. But by and large, a lot of it I felt was kind of just like very simplistic and and not engaging enough. Um, but also, who knows? That might you know there are any number of reasons that could be. Um, it, I mean, it's it felt necessary to me. the The problem with film movies moments like this is I've seen enough movies that my brain's a little broken. And so I'm sitting here, I'm like, all right, we're halfway through the movie, the big bad and the hero are fighting, neither of them are going to die, because that's not how movies work. So it, I think that was that was really the only issue with it is that it all felt kind of, uh, you know, just like, all right, well, they need to meet, we need to have them meet up a couple of times. All right, let's just check this off the list. Well, I mean, um, it, 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 it does a dual thing where it, it allows our, 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 our hero to meet Einan, of course, before the before the big fight. And of course, I mean, as you know, the act structure would dictate Bowen comes out below, like not on top of, of, of that little scuffle. He does mm-hmm. not come out favorably, but I mean, it, it also serves the purpose of Kara still doesn't believe Bowen. He still, she still kind of doesn't, but then when Einan comes, you know, then everyone's on the same side, you know, Bowen, the dragon and Kara are all 
they're they're now a team, a group. They're one. And so uh, yeah, coming face to face with the foe and realizing that like whatever personal differences they have, they, this is the the actual problem. Um, that is that is a good function of the scene. Um, I like David Thewlis. I think he's doing a, a good job. I I think he's a little. And once again, it's because at times it's a little. It's not as sort of high fantasy as it as it thinks it is he's a little broadly drawn at times i could have used especially in this scene i would have liked a little more of him just being like i never believed in you i never believed in that crap i used you like he i feel like i could have used a little more of like him reasoning that he was betrayed by bowen somehow like him him being like he's like no you were the one who who did wrong and you you stood you know uh, more of that really just out of this one the, my, yeah i think my problem with him in this scene is that he really just comes across as like you're dumb and i wanted power get out of here <laughs> i mean that's not too far from the truth david thelowis is pretty good though i mean he's he was a good choice yeah he does like I say, he does a great job i think he he delivers everything he's given uh very well one of the one of the that's one of the lines with bowen gives it like his accents like what was that a 1995 new york accent because i like well 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 <laughs> the Look! 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 Who it is? The the girl I lost and my old mentor giving carving lessons. And then he he says, "Get off your horse, and I'll give you one." Like he just said, so not English at all. Oh yeah, absurd. <laughs> Talk about the, the 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 dialogues or the the accents being all over the place. But again, I can forgive that given the movie that we're watching. Yeah, yeah. It, I got used to it pretty quick. It wasn't bothering me the whole movie. Just the first like scene or so with Dennis Quaid. Um, I have to expect him to jump off the horse and be like, "I'm walking here." <laughs> You know, the further something I'm starting to realize is after watching this movie with more of a critical eye is the further away from Julie Christie we get, the the worse the movie gets. I think. Because yeah, because because she is fully, she, she only exists in the high fantasy part because she is like the link to the old world. She was sort of forced to marry the evil king. She had hopes for her son, but she realized that her son is beyond redemption now. Like she, all of her themes, she I never doubt what she's doing and what her character is going through her everything with her character is always sold and it's just because all the other characters have to do like the silly stuff that when they switch into the like very very high drama mode i'm like yeah but you were just like kicking people in, in the junk and like doing fart jokes like it's it is not you're not as high-minded as your dialogue now suggests <laughs> well just to be sure there are no there are no fart jokes or kicking in the crotch in this movie i want you to if you're gonna watch it watch it don't don't not watch it because of that but it's you're you're, you're not wrong about that and i imagine julie christie when she read this script and she was somehow shanghaied into this movie was the same way alec guinness in star wars he would look at the script and be like are you kidding me rewrite that immediately right now rewrite that crap like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like Julie Christie in the nineties, she was still Julie. Like she was Julie Christie and it wasn't, she's a legend even then. So to get her was a big get. And I think they needed to use her again. And that's why the movie goes back to her every like 10 or 15 minutes. Another Julie Christie scene. And the further, like there's a peak, we get away from Julie Christie, like seven or eight minutes. And then we, before we come back, that's the worst the movie gets because like the further away from quality you get, the worse you get. Does that make sense? Yeah, just uh, and yeah, like the say. the more freedom that the writers thought they had, just to get just to get back to her, that's kind of how I feel a little bit. But I mean, I've watched this movie so many times that I I know it better than most people on the planet do, I'm sure. But she was a good get. And while we're on on once in running my mind, we're talking about this scene in the by the waterfall. One thing working this movie's favor is it it looks it looks practical, and it, you know all the costumes look legitimate. 
all the all the weapons look good. Like I don't think that this movie has a lot of problems, but I don't think that is those are the problem or any of the problems. The movie looks really. I mean, the aesthetics of the movie look good. Uh, yeah, it does. It, it it is of one. It is of one theme, and it's yeah, having that handmade, especially now, like when we're not used to seeing all that, where you know we would have a crowd of CG rebels and stuff. Having everything there in tactile and actual cloth and stitching that you can see, it it does definitely does is a positive for this one. I I, I agree, and it's just that scene to me is just one of those, you know. It's it's an extension of another scene or a scene to be extended later, you know. It's it's just them talking about who 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 betrayed who and who has the better reasoning for what they're saying, you know. It was your belief you betrayed it, and then he's like, "No, I said it because I that's what you wanted to hear at the time. That's why you gave me the heart." And he just and then the dragon comes, scares Einan off. You he he lift up his chest plate. Einan gets scared and runs off. Mm-hmm. And then of course we go. I mean that that does that 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 accomplishes. You know, no more car doesn't push back anymore. Now she's part of the team. You know, I think that's ultimately what that scene does the best is it stops all the crawling within the group of, well, Bowen and, and Draco are a team, but Carl's kind of on the outside, doesn't like Bowen. But now after that scene, they all realize that they are part of the same narrative now. And they need to, because then we go to the third town that, you know, they talk about, she talks about what's one more bag of gold compared to helping freeing a country and he's like well it's, it's a bag of gold it's money it's food in my stomach and new 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 horseshoes for my horse you know it's, it's just it's common sense stuff mm-hmm. and of course that's where we go with the next one is then the next the next plot to that the draco goes bad he he, he doesn't sink which is i mean look that's kind of funny you gotta admit that's kind of funny Oh no, it's nice. Yeah, that is a uh, uh, a fun one. But he, they, it's just so poorly planned. He's just stuck there. He, he like sink, sink. And I, but that's the part of the movie that that's kind of the the that would have been a much more clever part in a movie where it's just about a dragon and a knight scamming cities, trying to get coin off of people. That you know, well, he killed our dragon, so here's your coin, knight. And then you know, what I mean, but like that that movie only has so much potential. Where do you go with it? If you don't have the, the the other the other half of the movie with a rebellion, and putting down an evil king, where where do you go with the knight and the the dragon scamming the? Where do you go with that? Uh, well, that's the thing. You, there's right now that since there's so little meat to it, like because if if it was just that movie, it'd be a lot more about him being this sort of like real scummy knight who kills dragons but does it for money, and and so then it yeah. So, so he'd have a whole different character arc to go through, and that's what you'd have to do once sort of the wheels fall off of their scam. Um, yeah, so watching it just in a vacuum, I couldn't say. I'd have to set up the the first half of the rest of that film to, to know where to go. Yeah, because in my mind, at that point, you know, you you could still have like an evil king where they realize they need to fight for something. It just wouldn't be as it wouldn't be as personal. It'd be like, oh, these people we're scamming are really hurting. Like maybe we, like what what you know you could do it that way. You could have, you know, uh, you know, there's to say there's a reason he's hunting dragons. You know, you could have an evil dragon be the person that actually is, is hurting people. There there are a lot of ways where he has to, like, hunt a dragon for good and he has to use this other dragon and then or convince people that, like, oh, not all the dragons are bad. Go kind of a, you know, no, that, your dragon that, route. that's what it would be today. Not all dragon. It would. I mean, you know, what movie I keep thinking about when I think of this one, it it had, you know, nine years to learn and didn't Aragon. Mm-hmm. What a what an atrocious pile of garbage that movie turned out to be, and that was such uh, a 
What? Yeah, it's real bad. Which is odd because the movie is just, or the book is just Star Wars with the serial numbers filed off. And I'm like, Star Wars is a good movie. How did that turn out so bad? Quite, quite literally. And, and just for a, a little one minute aside here, you and I were, this, this was post Lord of the Rings, post Troy, post King Arthur, where like we, we were kind of in the, we were in the, the big budget fantasy epics and boom. Then we see, you know, Aragon and you and I are like, this is it. We got another three, we got another trilogy to look forward to for the next six or seven years. This is perfect. And then Aragon came out and then away went the trilogy. Yep. <laughs> Aragon was so bad. And oh, it's, I've actually it was tried awful. To watch that. I've tried to watch it recently and it's worse than I remember. It is worse. That, I, that, I feel like that was one of the first ones where we're like, I had to do the three things game where I had to name three good things about it. And I had a struggle Well, that movie was, that's a, I don't understand how that, I just, sometimes I just don't understand how movies that bad, but I mean, boy, if you've not seen Aragon and you're, you want to just, you know, order pizza one night and just have like a, an interesting evening, boy, just, I don't want to say anything else about it, but it is bad. Yeah. It's, like, it's yeah. not Holmes and Watson bad, but it's a two. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, if, you, if you're having a hard time, be like, ah, Dragonheart's maybe not my thing. Watch Aragon and then come back and you'll be like, Dragonheart is a flawless masterpiece. <laughs> Best picture nominee, Dragonheart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. All right, Brian. We got, we got maybe 15, 20 minutes left. Let's. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, they, but yeah. So things go awry, but they all escape. So it's the brother. It's, it's so we have all our four together and they fly off to Avalon. Well, Draco picks him up, gets him out of a very precarious situation. Mm hmm. And, you know, Bowen says, you know, the setup line, Draco, what unholy place is this? And Draco's like, unholy? This is the resting place of Arthur himself. Camelot. Mm-hmm. Avalon, of course, that, you know, that satisfies Brother Gilbert's journey. He's finally found it. And here's one of the more interesting scenes, too. And I'll, I'll tell you where it differs from the book is in this scene, Bowen is still not for the fight. Because Bowen saw the fight the first time in the beginning of the movie, the massacre that happened. Tons yeah. of people dead, not a lot of Kingsmen dead. It just wasn't worth it to him. That was what killed the last bit of good in Bowen was that. And of course, we've slowly been building back to redeeming him, bringing him back. But And then, of course, to make it better, it's raining and it's dark. And these, you know, these very holy ruins and you put all that together and you get the scene we get where, you know, everyone kind of walks off in the darkness, says they're going to go help the fight. And then Bowen is sitting there in the cold, in the dark in the damp and they'll the 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 arthur pillar lights up mm-hmm. and then he starts arthur starts talking to him and it's the voice of john john galgood he's the voice of king arthur in this he's making bowen recite the knight of the or the the old code mm-hmm. you know blade upholds blade upholds the weak and you know it gets stronger and stronger and stronger although i don't think quaid delivers it very well but it should have been a much more powerful scene than it is but then, you know, the light fades and Draco steps out and puts his wing over Bowen. You know, maybe there's more to this than, you know, it's just that's when it turns. I guess, I mean, to me, it didn't convince me, but I have to believe it's when it turned because that's when the movie set the turn. So, but how it differs in the movie is, or sorry, in the book is Bowen, Bowen is visited by Arthur and his knights at the round table and you know, they pretty much it's I, I I think would have been the Harry Potter moment before he goes to fight before he goes to sacrifice himself to Voldemort. I guess I don't think it would have been if they would have chosen to do that, that would have been a lot worse. I think it, it's good the way it is. I think I don't know. What, what do you think about that scene? Uh, I mean, if it if it is that it was them giving him like that kind of sort of very sappy pep talk that would not work for this. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him 
almost fight with them if it was like a whole table around and he's like you don't know what we've been through he's like the world the world has changed you know your ideas have failed and they like pushed it back against him that could have been an interesting sort of thing but if it was just all of them there being like you know you you must stop you know just sort of generically telling him i understand just going with a much quicker he sees it he's hit with a divine inspiration he does the oath to the pillar and bing bang boom you're done um yeah, like the idea of them all being there could work, but yeah, if it if it's if it's if the vibe is like that Harry Potter thing, then then no, thank you. Well, it, but it, it, it that was just my go to, my brain. Oh, got you. But okay. it's, I mean, I don't know how else you would have done it. It it would have been it would have been pretty cheesy, I think, if they would have done it. Yeah, I think it's tough. Like I said, I, th- I think the only change I would make is I probably would have liked a sort of a little more verbal sparring between him and either Arthur or all of them. Just being like, you know, or where he even breaks down the sort of thing where he's arguing and then he says the thing he has, he's been hiding and like he almost, you know, makes himself realize what it is. Uh, or they that, or they were worried about looking too much like Star Wars with, you know, Obi Wan o- and, and Yoda's ghost come come back. That is fair, and that that I, I'm sure people would have made that comparison. Hell, I might have made that complaint like, oh, this is a total rip off of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I could see me saying that. So fair cop. Uh, it, it works fine enough. It's one of those things. Once again, we're like the it, it is fine. It's a little quick for how dramatic they want it to be. Uh, it, it's you know just not quite fully earned, but but by and large, I I was fine with it. But but it, it works for the movie that that we're given, and, and that's yes, exactly. And that's the important part here. Whoever was editing it was was knew exactly what to edit in and what to edit out, and knew the pace of the movie. It's you know he knew they knew what product they were going towards after the I think after the first few probably weeks editing okay now we know what we have this is what we have i, I mean i don't know how much this, this was in vhs days i don't know how much cutting room floor that there is but mm-hmm. also it'd be interesting to know not that it matters for a lot more many more people than i than, than me but i would just like to know but of course then we go to you know the somewhat end of the second act third act we go to bowen helping the t- helping the the village get ready for the assault on Ina's castle you know he has been renewed he is he believes again and good in the, in the old code. And I mean, that's important. You know, I mean, look, I mean, even it sounds silly, but even though no one, as I say that I, I'm getting goosebumps because that's in some level, that's just cool. You know, I mean, in some oh, level yeah. that, that, that taps into your, Ooh, good is back. Good is going to triumph over evil. You know, that, 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 that very, you know, the very basic instinct that you want good to triumph over evil you that's and i'm you always want. good for yeah for a good training montage and you know also the the defeated villagers see hope again yeah that that's that's all good stuff no complaints there so yeah i mean i'm all about the the regaining the faith and then we come to there's not there's just like one day of training and then you know and then of course the the, the very forced conversation on the hilltop when bowen and draco are up there everyone's down there training uh, you know, Draco's like, what do you see down there? And, you know, Bowen says hope for the first mm. time I see hope. And, and that's, I mean, that's a pretty important though. I mean, for his character, for, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, almost the end of the arc for him is hope is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, and of course we, you know, then we cut to the fight, the big fight. I mean, you expect us to believe that all these villagers are whipped into fighting shape in, you know, a, a day and a half or whatever, two days, three days, whatever. But yeah. they're, so they're fighting the King's men. They draw them in. They light the, the back on again, stolen from probably flown from Braveheart, but let the light the back on fire. There's no escape. And what, what is kind of a very serious fight with, unfortunately not the best choreography because you can see the outline from a mile away. 
Yeah. But it's very serious. But in the, in the same very serious fight where you have people getting stabbed and, you know, cut and limbs cut off, there's also, you know, Brother Gilbert doesn't want to kill anyone because he, of course, is a holy man. But he shoots this random target in the, in the top of the tree that, that lowers a, a, a log and knocks three guys off their horse. Mm-hmm. Like, why is that in the movie? Why? I mean, he also, don't movie? forget, he shoots someone in the butt and then makes a turn the other cheek joke. <laughs> that's, that's also important. Well, of, of course. I mean, that's almost a given. Yeah, it's it. That's it, it. It's the clashing tones. Like I, I appreciate you know, it's it's a lot like modern films that are overly quippy. I'm like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a good film full of quips, but at a certain point, you can't expect me to take these super heavy dramatic moments right next to how quippy and clever you're trying to be. That's, you gotta you gotta balance it better. That's the, that's part of the problem. Is like you can't expect me to take it serious and then give me a reason not to take it serious in the same five minute scene. Mm-hmm. That's bad. That's very bad. I mean, you could t- tell, and I mean, the, pr- the producer was also very, she was also very um, into, when I say into, she was she she did Conan the Barbarian, Conan the D- D- Destroyer, Dune, Backdraft. Like, she did all these other movies that are very serious. Especially that first Conan is very good and very serious. Mm-hmm. There's like one or two comedic scenes, but but they're well-timed and they work, but they, they don't once take away from the levity of what Conan the Barbarian is a very serious rated R movie with Tulsa doom and Conan and what, whatever. But that's so again, De Laurentiis is kind of back in her element in this weird kind of a choreographing or producing this big fight with the villagers and with the, you know, the, the knights on horseback and the evil King. And, you know, of course, then you have as if Bowen didn't already make the link, which he some reason didn't because Mm -hmm. Hey, PG movie, Someone shoots someone shoots Einan in the chest, and then the dragon in the background who's terrorizing the, the castle goes down, and then the link is made. I would imagine the link would have been made a long time before that. That's that's a vital piece of information that Draco may have shared with his. Yeah, it, it was a, that's thing. Like it's it's a really weighty idea to have to deal with this that you know your ally is tied to your villain. Um, that, like that's nice weighty stuff, but just to kind of toss it in here really feel yeah that it's another thing that feels rushed that i enjoy but is rushed but i mean how else how else do you do how else do you deliver that kind of news without i deliver it when there's visually. when there's I, once again i i need more real estate in the film either a longer runtime or less time spent on that prologue to sort of pepper that in because i feel like overall the relationship between draco and um, bowen develops too quickly they basically have like one team where they're fighting and then they're scam bros and then Bowen independently becomes a hero again just by talking to the statue. Like if if it was longer and they really went through and I felt like, oh, they have a real history now. They built this attachment. They've dealt with their baggage of him being the dragon in a, in a weighty way. That's not just like a one scene throwaway real quick. It's over. Then it'd be the sort of thing where as they're planning the final assault, Draco has to tell him like, listen, if we're going to do this, you need to know something. And then he's, he's like, listen. no, we can't. And he's trying to change the plan. And then on the day of the invasion, he realizes there is no other choice. And he does, you know, this just that, doesn't, that, that, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound what you just said is it doesn't, doesn't sound believable though. And like not, no, nothing about that sounds like nothing about any scenario I can think of to deliver the information a different way than visually sounds believable at all. Or sounds even somewhat of a. I'm sure they had several different ways. They they. I mean, I I would imagine there were several different attempts to deliver that piece of information. That this, but that's what they arrived at is the visual of getting shot with an arrow and then Draco going down over the keep, and then of course the King rides back, has Draco in change, wants him safe for all eternity. He's figured it out. 
but um, you know, Bowen and company, I mean, okay. So at post battle, then, you know, I go to save the dragon who will come with me. None of those people step up after just, you expect me to think that the village found the courage to fight the evil King who outnumbers them and wearing armor and real weapons, but they don't have the courage to go save the dragon when the dragon, I mean, it, it seems to me that you either have courage or you don't. You either, you're either all in or you're all out at this point. Yeah, it was odd. Because um, it's not like they even played it. I, honestly, I, it's just so someone can, just so, uh, what's his name? One Eye, uh, Hugh, Hugh can, yeah. so, so Hugh can Han Solo in later. That's really why it exists. <laughs> That's a very good point. And I was, I was thinking that too. It's so they can get the, the so they can get the, the that that shoulder pat later. Him and Kara about now. Okay, I, I trust you now. Now we're now. Yeah, we're that's now that's we're the only reason that that moment exists. So you know, it's a device. It's a means to an end. And and so here's what I want to talk about. Then the last two things I want to talk about, of course, Aislin, Aislin's discussion with Draco, mm-hmm. and then of course the ending sequence, which which goes from Einan the the Einan to you are the last, and then acts in the chest. So Queen Aislin in one of my favorite, one of my favorite like dialogue exchanges in this movie goes to Draco. She, again, from the beginning, she is a Celtic. She knows she has that old soul. At least what the universe is telling us is an old soul that linked the dragon. She knows exactly. She has to end this to, to, to kill her son or to kill, to get rid of the evil. She has to kill Draco and Draco wants to die. He's ready to die for this. And of course, you know, that, that conversation there is, is I think the best part of the movie, you know, where he asks, are the stars shining tonight? And she, you know, he can't see, and you know, she's the death without immortality. And he goes, I had to wait for another time when man wouldn't repeat my mistake and let tyranny thrive. And he thought he found it. And it's just a great conversation between Sean Connery and Julie Christie, two people that can really deliver lines. <laughs> you know, oh, I mean? yeah, it's the it's the most successful part of this plot line is this conversation. I totally buy her character. I get tons of backstory and a whole life life from her just from this conversation. And yeah, great great scene. No complaints. Yeah, it's a wonderful. I mean, it is the. I mean, it is part of the powerful ending. Of course, then Eisen kills her. I sorry, Eisen and Eisen. Eisen kills her, and then start last battle sequence. The rebels have taken the castle. Einan is, Einan now knows for sure that he cannot be hurt without hurting the dragon. You, you, you got to kill the dragon to kill Einan. And of course, so Bowen goes up to the keep, up to the, whatever you call the, the, the battlements, whatever you could call that. And then starts to unchain Draco and Draco says, okay, now, 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 now it's you. You have to kill me or evil will thrive. Evil will, will survive and come back again. And he's like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to kill you. You are the last. And then, this ending I think is is not only the best part the best written part of the film but it's also the part that works the best you know he you know fight back Dragon Slayer defend yourself and he takes a swipe at him and Bowen goes into defense mode and he doesn't and then he comes back too and throws the he throws the axe down and I won't and then I think the coolest image scene in the movie is when Draco breathes the fire and, and Bowen's holding the axe but it's down and he's just standing there hunched over in his back because he's not gonna he's not gonna fight back I think that is one of the most powerful pieces of the movie. Uh, yeah, this this whole the whole last confrontation with with those two is is really well done. Um, and but that especially by that point of the film, I sort of got what the movie was and just accepted it. So I was able to just like sit back and enjoy it. So I, I do I do give that one. I really like this whole sequence. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of 
um, the he has Kara, and then he Kara will Kara hurts herself, so then he no he Draco hurts himself, so then he hurts himself, and Kara is able to get free, and then he just deadpan sprint towards Bowen to kill him, and of course fading in fading out is the actual sound, and fading in is the is the heartbeat of Draco and the footsteps of Einan. So I mean, one of them is mm-hmm. going to win, and I, that's right. That's why I love about that last is like the sound, really kind of in a really kind of a weird stylistic choice, really helps to sell the moment. Of course, you hear the footsteps getting bigger and bigger, and it coming closer to Bowen, and you also hear the heart pounding. He has to make a choice. He turns and throws the axe. Ining goes down, but Draco dies as well, but not before he gets his final look in. <laughs> I don't. I mean, because every hero is, they can't just die. Die. They got to get a. They oh, got to no, get a one to... final glance at the camera or one final line of dialogue off, you know? Exactly. That's so, just how I mean, it works. That's, I think, the real beauty of this movie is the end. And it, if I have to watch a 90-minute movie to get there, then sometimes I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I think having seen it now, I would, I would enjoy it more on a second watch. Um, and I did not enjoy it. It was just a little uh, jarring at times. Um, <laughs> I, I would enjoy it more on future watches. And, yeah, the ending is great. Like I said, I think, I think by the time you're into the Act 3 – even the fight in the forest or any, you know, the choreography sometimes not all there, but it's still enjoyable. The story, the story is sort of fully realized at that point. And then, yeah, into the dragons in the castle, all that. Uh, yeah, I think I think hearty recommend, especially for the ending. Just 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 be aware that if you've not seen this before, you're going to have some moments in the middle where you're like, I'm not sure if this is really my, my sort of thing. Like, just just keep going. Trust me, it, it'll get there. The, the ending is the best part of the movie. And then, you for know, sure. Draco, without you, where do we go? And then, of course, he, you know, where do we look? And it's to the stars, Bowen, to the stars. Mm-hmm. In a very <laughs> Sean Connery, you know, the accent. And of course, then the 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 theme cues up again. This beautiful, beautiful Randy Edelman theme. And then it's very, it's again, it's it's almost too powerful for the movie. It's almost too powerful for what's going on in the movie. And of course, the the the, the Draco Pyreflies, his soul is surrounding Bowen and all the people as they've now all come up to the rooftop to see it, the castle is taken. And then of course you see Draco's soul go into the, the dragon constellation. And then he winks at them, <laughs> which is a nice little touch. And of course, you know, the narration is output by Pete Postlewaite, who does a great job. <sighs> I'm, I'm really excited. I love talking about this movie, man. As you can tell, I love it. Yeah. It's uh, like I said, I, I, I could see this being, especially n- knowing you and, and you know, your kind of thing. This is, I think I, I could see making a big impression on you when you saw it, when you were young. I mean, I would have enjoyed it as well. Had I seen it when I was young, it's just one that somehow escaped my viewing until now. Uh, so I'm glad I, I, I finally watched it. Like I said, there, there's certainly some value here. I, I'm a little surprised by some of the choices, but I really had a good time with it. Oh, good. Okay. Now we, you know, move to the, the, the task of scoring this bad boy. On a scale of one to ten, or sorry, a scale of zero to ten, as we know from Holmes and Watson, is zero can be achieved. <laughs> where would you put this? And I mean, I'm 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 asking in earnest your 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 best your your best effort to separate, you know, everything from what you think this movie deserves as assigned by a number. That number is going to represent the quality of this movie. What you think that number is? Yeah. Again, I I don't have a long history of doing it, so I'm still sort of calibrating where where I would put my numbers. My gut tells me this is probably like a six for me. Yeah, I would I would agree with you exactly, 100% spot on six. I I I I want to. I mean, my 11 year old self wants to give Dragonheart a 10, but (laughs) I understand for all for all the reasons that you more than me have talked about in this episode. It just I can't. It's that score is unattainable. A nine is unattainable. An eight. 
maybe a six and a half is arguable, but a seven, so, yeah. I, I think yeah, a I, seven if, is just out of reach also. Yeah, if I just take a five, it's sort of a middle of a movie that's not good enough or bad enough to offend me or delight me. Like, there's enough stuff in this that I enjoy that it's definitely above the, that halfway point. And, uh, but yeah, it's it's not going to be able. It, it has enough flaws that's not going to be able to rise much above a six. So I think I think I'm firm locking in at a six. Yeah, that's I agree with you. Firm locking in at a six, which kills me because I, this I love this movie and it was one of my first like movies I really fell in love with and rented a hundred times. Begged my parents mm-hmm. to buy the VHS and they're just running running it a million times they never mm-hmm. saw that kind of then that never saw that that our, our argument but i loved it i love this movie it, it it hit me i was 11 when it hit me so like it hit me just at that time where as a as a young boy it was things were still cool and you know badass and you know i didn't quite understand the weight behind some of the scenes but i also was young enough that i didn't see that it was really bad as well so yeah. i mean there's that but um yeah, so that's the the purpose of this episode is, or the purpose of this show is talking about movies that inspired us. And Dragonheart definitely inspired. As a matter of fact, I've been, you know, I personally have been to help out myself writing wise. I have been sitting down and trying to write a, a remake of this. I think it would be much grittier. Mm-hmm. I would remove, I would remove the the drag. I would remove the the dragon buddy or the, the scamming the towns plot line and make it purely about putting down evil. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think it's possible and I, I I'm never, I'm never going to find anyone to give me money to do this or even have a script ready to do it. But it's just one of the movies I would love to see re- remade in a much grittier, in a, in a Nolan Batman gritty way. You know what I mean? I mean, they keep making yeah. sequels. Who knows? Maybe they'll get around to a reboot. Ah, oh, man. I, one day, man, he was crossing my fingers. I, I've been disappointed <laughs> now for 20 some years. So hopefully, you know. <laughs> Hey, why change now? Exactly. All right, Brandon. This is the part of the episode where you get to choose the next thing we talk about. Yeah, uh, I'm going. I'm going slightly later in the timeline. Uh, this is a film that I saw in college. It was. It was just before I had changed my major to include film studies. So it feels like uh, one. It's it's one of the films that I love, and it sort of seemed like. Uh, I, well, I don't remember. Like I didn't leave the theater going like I must study film. It was definitely one of the films that sort of pushed me in the direction of realizing, like, no, I, I need to, like, academically learn a little more about how to study these things. Um, and that is uh, from the year 2006. It is Tarsum Sings The Fall. Have you seen this film? I don't think so, which will be a good thing for me because uh, it's a movie I've not, I don't think I've seen this. It is. I, I love this film so much. It is this great fantasy, adventure fantasy film. Uh, it's a story within a story. Lee Pace is the lead. Uh, it's it's the idea that Lee Pace, he's in this hospital and he is telling this story to the little girl. And so we see the little girl imagining the story he's telling to her. Um, I don't want to go into the whole thing. I, I just want you to watch it. It's dripping with style. It is. It is. I saw the trailer for an, on another film. And it was just so visually striking that we went and saw it without knowing really anything else about the film other than just we saw the trailer. Uh, so, yeah, it is 2006 uh, from Tarsum Singh, The Fall, uh, dearly loved movie of mine. All right. I can get into this. We will, of course, have a time for that. It'll be later this December. It'll be it'll be in January, right? Uh, yeah. And that's yeah. on me. If I, Yeah. If, if listeners are mad, just know it's me. My schedule is terrible. So car- carving out time to do these episodes, uh, it, I'm the one who's causing all the problems. So well, I mean, uh, we're, you're a busy guy. We, we all know that by now. So, yeah. Apologies there. But yeah, uh, you're welcome for if anyone hasn't seen this film, it is gorgeous. And you'll 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 all be thanking me come uh, next month when you watch this. So. All right. Good, good deal. Well, Brandon, this has been 
an episode. It was it was a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Thank you for joining me this evening. Thank you much. Happy as always, sir. Glad you got to see a movie that I know, I know I tried to convince you to watch as a Carmike at least a dozen times or more. I know I did. Oh, I'm sure. But at a certain point, those recommendations became white noise because you would probably <laughs> rattle off 15 films a day. You got to watch this and this and this and well, this. Well, I also, I, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's watched more movies than me. I, I just don't think it's ever good. I watched, you know, back in Carmike, I watched everything that came in and out of that place for, you know, seven years I worked there. Yeah, I don't know if I want to meet someone who's watched more movies than you. I don't think I don't think it's possible, <laughs> but this I have not seen. Um, but man, I've seen a lot that look very similar to this, at least on the outside. So, but I will definitely have a. I'm really excited to get into this. It looks very interesting. Oh yeah, and, I love it. I think you're gonna have a good time with it. So thank you everyone for joining us. I hope you um, are convinced to watch Dragonheart. To me, it's a very big deal. It's a very influential film, and uh, I, I hope you were able to get past some of the silliness and just kind of get into the story and. It's good for an evening with, you know, if you're going to sit down, have some pizza and just kind of have a nice evening on a rainy and a rainy night. This is a good way to do it. So I hope you decide to do that. All right. So thank you very much for listening. And I hope you decide to check out Dragonheart. If you haven't already, uh, if you have, maybe go back and visit it again with some with some uh, new thoughts. Maybe if you haven't seen it for a while. Also check out the the main podcast for the love of cinema. We talk about movies weekly there that come out in theaters and that are very new on streaming. So once again, thank you very much for listening and have a good evening. Yeah.